The By the Hood podcast is brought to you by the book, Own Your Time and Space, written by Corey Camp and Jimmy the Blueprint Williams. All throughout history, you will see time and space as having significant importance, but never discussed as it will be in this book. You can learn the true importance of time and space and how having a better understanding of these concepts can lead to a better life. It deals with ownership of not only your time, but the space around you. You can get your copy at ownyourtimeandspace.com or you can go right to Amazon and look up Own Your Time and Space. What's up, people? Welcome to this episode of the By the Hood podcast slash webcast because I don't know how you're consuming this content. As usual, I'm your host. My name is Jimmy, and I got my brother Corey here with me. Corey, how are you, sir? What's going on, Jim? How you feeling? Oh, man, I can't complain. Ain't nobody listening. I'm fair and partly cloudy. Um, as usual, folks, we're bringing you another episode. We want to highlight brothers and sisters who are doing amazing work in the community. Um, and we'll continue to bring this content. Uh, 2020 is shaping up to be an amazing year. This episode, we have a heavy hitter on, man. I, I want to give you a little bit about this, this, this guy's uh, background. Um, this is brother Anthony Costin. Uh, this guy has a PhD in bioengineering, a master's degree in bioengineering, he had a bachelor's degree. He got more degrees than a thermometer. Then outside of that, he went back and got his MBA. Um, he works in the field developing medical devices. Right now, he has his own consulting firm in the medical device and pharmaceutical field, founder in a couple of startups. Uh, but I'll let him tell his story. It's just that this guy is doing so many amazing things that we have to bring him on. We have to highlight him to show that it's people like us, man, who, who, you know, who are out there and can do this kind of work. Um, we've talked to people from all sorts of backgrounds, and this is another one that we just have to highlight. So, Brother Anthony, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me on your program. Man, thank you for your time, man. Um, you know, I, I just gave a little bit about your background, but let's start from the beginning. Where are you originally from? I'm originally from South Jersey. I spent most of my time in South Jersey, probably up until about 30 years old. So, you know, elementary school, other, high school, other than going away to college, I was in New Jersey the first 30 years of my life. Okay, where'd you go to college at? I went to undergrad, University of Delaware, a master's Penn State, the PhD was at Rutgers, and then the MBA was at MIT. Okay, oh man, you have a, uh, your, edu your educational background is, is amazing. Um, um, let me ask you a question though. Um, with someone who already had a PhD, what made you go back and get that MBA? What, what were you looking for when you decided to take those, was it because everything was in bioengineering, so you want to do some business? Or what made you go back and get the MBA? That's actually a very interesting question. And to answer that, I got to tell you a little bit about my background, because it might resonate with some people who, who go through this in their careers. Um, coming out of grad school, got a job in engineering, research and development, developing medical devices. And I kind of worked my way up in medical devices for probably 10 years or more. And I realized I could do more than just design hardware and software for medical devices. So I got into leading big teams, got into project management because that was one of the ways to move up within the large organizations. And at that time I was working for Johnson and Johnson for about seven or eight years. And I was starting to get frustrated. And the reason why I was getting frustrated is people were looking at me as one dimensional. And I knew there was so much more that I could offer an organization. And a lot of times people can become pigeonholed in corporate America. And if you have the aptitude to do more than just one thing, which is design hardware or write software, I wanted to lead teams. I was attracted to the business side of things, the marketing side. So I wanted to do more. 
So I decided to go back and get the MBA to give me a formal training in the business side of things because when people looked at my background and experience, I'm very top heavy on research and engineering, but I wanted them to see more than just those capabilities within me. Interesting. And you know, that goes to uh, what a lot of our guests, Corey, have talked about is the one thing no one has been afraid to do is invest in themselves. Bettering. That's right. Investing yep. in yourself yep. is always- Investing like in a, themselves every single time. Every, every single guest we've had, that's like a key, a key theme there that you're not afraid to invest in yourself. You got to invest in yourself. And I totally agree with that wholeheartedly. You also have to develop yourself. Mm -hmm. It's your responsibility to develop yourself to get you to the next level. Um, we can, you know, I have a strong affinity to, to having mentors and, and people pushing to find mentors. But even if you find a mentor, the onus is on you to develop yourself because no one can develop you the way that you ultimately want to be. Does that make sense? Uh -huh. That's actually a gem right there. You said, so even if you find mentors, the onus is on you to develop yourself. Yeah, yep. a mentor can give you suggestions about what you should do, but in the end, you have to put the work in. You know, and, and mentors are there to guide you and give you a sounding board. They're not there to do the work for you. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a mistake some people make. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they find a mentor and just try to lean so much on them, but it's about taking action and yeah. doing things yourself, right? So that's how you, you pretty much learn. Okay, so so right now you're you're still in you're in Massachusetts now. That's where you 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 reside these days, right? Yeah, I bounced around um, to different job opportunities because and and many of your your listeners may resonate with this as well. Sometimes you got to move to where the jobs are. You know, if there's a certain level that yeah. you want to reach in a company, if there's a certain salary that you want, sometimes you may have to get out of your comfort zone. And I left New Jersey and went to an opportunity in the Atlanta area, loved Atlanta. But then about four years later, um, circumstances turned out to where the role that I was in, I realized was not the right role because I was no longer getting the support from the organization that I had gotten when I first got there. And I said to myself, this is not a positive nurturing environment for me. I gotta get out of here. You know what, you said something that just stuck with me. You said that you weren't afraid to make yourself uncomfortable. Yes. Like, and I think that's something. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? Because I think that a lot of people, um, regardless of whatever they're chasing after, that's what they're afraid of doing is making themselves uncomfortable, even if it's for, even if it's for a short term for something that they want to achieve long term. Yeah. Um, you need different experiences. And, and sometimes those experiences may not be comfortable, but it forces you to adapt. It forces you to adjust the way you think, the way you do things. And all of those experiences, whether they're good or bad, you learn something from them. So, you know, I know people who, you know, even some of my family members have never left their block in Philadelphia. Wow. And, you know, me, I'll, I can travel around the country and I won't even think twice about it. Or I can relocate because I've done that before and you figure out how to do that. You figure out, hey, it's going to be, you know, I'm leaving my friends, I'm leaving my family, but... You have to figure out how to engage, how to set roots elsewhere, because you never know when you're going to have to make a change when you don't want to. Man, that's that's a great gem right there, Cor. Right? Yeah. Because I know that some people are definitely afraid of that, but that that that's key in, in terms of growth and development, right? Um, sure. Making yourself uncomfortable. So, oh man, you're giving us a lot of gems right here. I, so, but I want to get into what you're currently doing, right? So. 
Um, you're currently, you have your own consulting firm, right? Um, and you're also a founder in two startups. So I guess uh, tell us a little bit about your consulting firm and, and what exactly do you consult on? Well, what's interesting is I was, I had a high level position. I was the head of medical devices for um, a good sized company. And I was there for about two and a half years, almost three years. And, you know, I can share this with you and your audience. I got laid off and uh, doesn't matter how many degrees you have. doesn't matter how high up you are in an organization. If you're working for somebody else, you're expendable. And you, you got to be ready for the day that they come to you and they say, you know what, we don't think we really need you anymore or we want to go in a different direction. So I was laid off and I started thinking about, okay, what do I want to do next? And um, interviewing with a lot of co different companies, a lot of big opportunities. And um, I was finding myself getting down to the last one or two people. And for some reason, they always gave it to the other person. And I said, to, I said to myself, you know, I'm getting frustrated. I got all these degrees, all the, I got 25 years of medical device development experience. I'm thinking to myself, what more do I have to show these companies uh, to, to allow me to have that very senior level position? I was going after VP and chief technology officer type roles in these organizations. And then it dawned on me. I said, why am I fighting so hard to have corporate America give me the job opportunity that I want, why don't I just create it for myself? Okay? And, yeah. and, and, I, and I thought back about it and I looked at my experience and I said, wait a minute, I got all the tools that I need. And this is something that, that, that you know, your, your listeners need to understand. We are all smarter than we give ourselves credit for. We can do a whole lot more than what the people around us are telling us we can do. And with all my experience, with all my degrees, you still sometimes doubt yourself. And you have to say, you know what? It doesn't matter what they think. I'm confident that I can do this. And I know I have the skill sets, the passion, the wherewithal to do it. So sometimes, and this is an example, making yourself uncomfortable. I could have taken the easy route and say, you know what? I'm gonna just find any type of role I can find in corporate America and, and take that. But I decided to take that uncomfortable route, which is stepping out there and, and, and doing my own thing. So make a long story short, I started my own consulting company um, so that that consulting company can provide a level of, of, of funding or a level of, of salary for me until my startups get off the ground to the point where they're able to compensate me at the level that I want, which may happen probably in the next year or so, could even happen faster than that. So I did the consulting gig basically to bring income into my household because I'm, my wife works, but I'm the major breadwinner in the household. And you know, I told, I told one of my friends and my brother, I said, you know, I got two kids and, and my wife and everybody likes eating meat at every meal and eating meals, three meals a day. <laughs> so, <laughs> I got to make sure I'm bringing in enough money to allow the household. <laughs> got to put food on the table. That's right. So okay. with the consulting company, um, what I do since I've done product development for 20, 25 years in all these different companies, I support people with all aspects of product development from concept to commercialization. I'm very knowledgeable about the FDA and the requirements to get technologies approved through the FDA. 
So I help with that. The design controls, the process development, basically anything and everything related to medical device development, um, I can consult people on. And also, because I, again, I did something out of my comfort zone and I was a little bit frustrated with the medical device industry. Um, I worked for a couple of years for a biotech company, utilizing the skill sets that I had gained in medical devices. A lot of those were applicable to pharmaceutical drug development. Okay. So I'm, I'm consulting in both those areas, but the consulting gig is really just to maintain my status quo from a life perspective so that I can get my startups to the point where they're they're about to blow up. Okay, and that's that's interesting. So you told us about you know what got you to this current point and in, in, in you know creating your own consulting company, and you've mentioned the future. You you are part of two. You're the founder in two startups, yes. which is uh which is interesting. So could you give us tell us a little bit about those startups? What what kind of startups do you have, and um, and, and what's the future for those? Yeah. So the first startup is in the fintech space, financial technology space. Um. This I started with two of my classmates from MIT. We all went through the MBA program together. And I can't take the um, credit for the idea. One of my classmates who lives in Burkina Faso in the western part of Africa came to me and he said, hey, I have this idea that I'm thinking about. Maybe you'd like to, to work this company with me. So in short, it's a mobile payment, it's a mobile payment platform that facilitates financial transactions between merchants and customers. For, for people who don't know, over 90% of the financial transactions in Africa are cash. Very few people have bank accounts. Very few people have credit cards. So everybody does their normal transactions through cash. The one thing that's different in Africa, they have mobile wallets through their telephone uh, providers. So they're much more comfortable using those electronic mobile wallets than we are in the U.S. So what our system does is we have partnered with the major telephone companies in Western Africa. We've partnered with the banks. We've partnered with merchants and we created a software platform that facilitates those transactions. So now people can buy goods and services electronically using those mobile wallets. Uh, infrastructure that's already present in Western Africa. You talk about the possibility of growth. I mean, wow. Yeah. We, we started in the transportation industry because originally we were going to start with merchants, um, you know, restaurant owners, shop owners, and things like that because they have the same need too. Um, but it was, it was actually fortuitous that we started in the transportation business. My CEO, who was my classmate, he was living in Burkina Faso, but he had a, some businesses and friends in the Ivory Coast. And he decided to take the bus one day. And this was when we were focusing on merchants. And he happened to ride with somebody or connect with somebody who was the owner of a bus transportation company. And that my friend, whose name is Sene, he was talking to this business owner about you know the, the the platform that he's developing and the business owner you know got very interested in this and he started talking about the challenges he has with his bus company and if you're from the US it's it the, the way some of the things are done are very foreign to us so i shared this story with a friend of mine um, 
because all the transactions are done in cash, if someone wants to take a bus somewhere, and by the way, no one has cars either. Most of the population doesn't have cars. So everybody takes buses everywhere. So if your grandmother, if a grandmother wants to visit her grandchildren six to eight hours away, she has to go to the bus station in the morning. She will have to sit there all day long hoping that there is an open seat on a bus sometime during the day. Because everything is done manually, no one's keeping track of the headcounts. No one's able to tell you there's going to be an opening on the 1030 bus or the 130 bus. People just sit there all day long. And sometimes they have to come back the next day because they sat there all day long and there was no availability. So with our platform, we've provided the bus companies with a basically a point of sale system. So every restaurant or store you go into now, there's an electronic cash register. That's unheard of in most parts of Western Africa. So our platform provides that capability. So now they can efficiently handle all of their transactions through that point of sale system. But here's the, the here's the, where it gets real interesting. Um, they have no analytics. So they weren't controlling inventory. They don't know which bus routes are the most primary bus routes that people want to pay for. Um, they didn't have the ability to know how many seats were available on buses. So all the yeah, things they that's actually, I was actually going to bring it up. I said, there's an opportunity like on, in the logistics side of that as well. Um, yes. Yeah. So man. And that's what this platform brings to them because we're thinking about how would we run a business like theirs if we had the resources we have here in the U.S. So we've been trying to give them that knowledge, that those data analytics, just, you know, the ability to manage um, their workforce. They don't even have an easy way for their workforce to uh, clock in. So you talk about the opportunity for growth. That, that's, that's, oh, my God. Yeah, so yeah. We're, we're very excited about it. We have several customers that are on our platform. Um, we're, we're currently selling millions of tickets a year through our platform. Yeah. And, and I want to ask you about your, uh, your second startup, but before I do, what do you think about all the opportunities in Africa? Because, um, you know, as someone who, who, who tries to stay abreast on the, the business around the world and reading, that's all I hear about now is the, the opportunities that exist in Africa and, and how there's so many expats over there who are capitalizing off that. Yeah. I think that, the next 10 to 20 years are going to be probably phenomenal for Africa. Um, it was even Jack Dorsey, right? He's the, the CEO of like uh, Twitter and um, Square said he's moving over there. Yeah, he's moving over there. So he's, he's going to try and be a di direct competitor to us. Ah. Our, 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 you know, I could say to somebody, we have a Square-like platform in Western Africa already. Okay. Um, but he's planning to go there, and I read an article that said he's going to be there for about six months in 2020 Yeah, get a lay of the land to figure out how Square can capitalize on that market. What's starting to happen now is people are realizing that um, Africa is, could be a viable market for a lot of the goods and services that we have. You know, 20 years ago, I'll say 30 years ago, uh, what, what am I? I'm, I'm 50 now, or 51 now. So I'll say 30 to 40 years ago, when we were growing up, the only thing you saw about Africa were starving kids with big bellies. And okay. flies around their head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. you didn't know that 
they have some of the brightest people in the world coming out of their colleges and universities. You didn't know that they had tremendous economies in certain cities. And part of the problem is people have underestimated Africa. And what I'm seeing is, and I can use our business as an example, you know, we're charging a fee for all these transactions, okay? Um, Western Africa, there's about eight or nine countries called the ECOWAS system or, or, or section. And they all have, you know, trade agreements with each other and they all use the same currency. Their, current, their dollar is the CIFA. 500 of their dollars is equivalent to one of ours, okay? Now, if you're looking at it from a U.S. perspective, you're like, well, if they spend a hundred of their dollars on my product, I'm only getting 10 cents, okay? And, um, or actually a hundred of their dollars would be 20 cents because it's 500 to, to one. Um, but what people forget is if I'm talking about the Ivory Coast or I'm talking about Burkina Faso, Burkina Faso has like 23 million people in it. Ivory Coast has 53 million people. So you may not be able to charge them as much as you could in the U.S., but they have the volume. Exactly. There's over a billion people, probably closer to 2 billion people in Africa. And that's what is the big opportunity for any business yeah. to get a first. And it's, and it's the only continent that has a net positive um, birth rate. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. And it was so, interesting. It's interesting because it seemed like everybody was trying to get into China. Um, but now the, the move's not even China no more. I don't even hear that as I read in business. I mean, everybody's now Africa is the move, right? But that's interesting too, Corey. You said they have the only continent that has a net positive birth rate. Yeah, Europe, the Americas, China, all of them have a net negative birth rate. Mm -hmm. And so the, the thing about, yeah, so I, I basically heard the French president talking about this because he was trying to lower the birth rate in Africa because he was scared of african you know people moving northward into europe and i was like you're an idiot but anyway um but the, the thing about it is is that that presents especially in business that presents opportunities because with a net positive birth rate there you know the, the, the population size will grow and grow and grow and that and like he like he was just saying the, the sheer volume of people will will become the thing that it's like going to New York. The sheer volume of people allows for businesses to grow at a greater rate. It's that yeah. same kind of, you know, that and, same and kind of effect in Africa. That will present problems, which which are opportunities for entrepreneurs to solve. With, exactly. with yeah, with so much. Oh man, so that's interesting. Um, and, and thank you for sharing that with us. But you said you have also um, equity in a second startup. So what's your second startup that you got so going? The, the second startup. And this is one that I've just created with uh, over the last uh, four or five months. And this is a diagnostic company, a medical device company that creates or uh, um, has a technology that allows us to diagnose hard to detect ailments and diseases. So we're targeting cancer, particularly lung cancer, as our first product offering. So we can basically non-invasively and that means we don't have to cut into you. We don't have to draw blood. We can basically take a breath sample and use the molecules that are found in your breath to detect many of the ailments that you may be suffering from, including lung cancer. Wow. That's yeah. revolutionary. Yes. Yeah. That's, 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 <laughs> like, oh, man. So, so you're out here trying to change the world, literally. 
I'm, I'm trying to change the world. And, and what this is really the culmination of many of my experiences, not my, my education, my work experience, because, and this goes back to having different experiences. Now, when I look at problems, I look at problems from so many different perspectives because I have the deep technical knowledge, I have the business knowledge, but then I have all the, 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 the business experience that I've gained over the last 30 years. So I'm, I'm no longer one dimensional in my approach. And what happened is I saw this technology uh, and, and this technology used to be part of my portfolio when I was working for a particular company. And we were trying to license the technology out for different applications. And I'm seeing all the challenges that companies were having trying to license technology from other companies. And I realized I can do this better myself. And uh, so now I'm getting access to that technology. I have relationships with the number one cancer center in the world who is wants to do a clinical study with me on this technology. So it's having knowledge about the technology to, to have confidence that it's going to work, my ability to connect with the right clinical partners who can help us to do the types of clinical studies we need to do to get FDA approval. But then I also have the business sense to figure out how do I make this work from a business perspective? Okay. Of course, I have connections with people because this is not just all of me. I have another founder who's been in the medical device uh, world for 25 years, just as long as I have. And, you know, I, I it's funny, I just pitched my technology to, um, I'm up here in Massachusetts, so WPI, Worcester Polytech Institute. It's kind of like a mini MIT in a different part of Massachusetts. And I pitched the technology to a group of about 70 um, entrepreneurs, investors, and I had four people walk up to, to me at the end and said, we want to be an advisor for you because we think you've got a great idea, great technology. We want to help you get this to market and, and really have this, you know, company uh, grow and develop. Wow. That's amazing, man. Uh, you get, you, you have a lot of amazing things, I man. You're an inspiration. Uh, I was going to say brother Anthony, but you're Dr. Anthony, man. You gotta, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta make sure I Doc. say that, you know, <laughs> People call me Dr. Anthony when they want something. But listen, let me ask you a question. With everything that you've accomplished and, and your, your resume is amazing, um, what would you say is the biggest hurdle that you've had to get over uh, or, or some sort of something um, that, you know, our listeners could uh, probably learn from something that it took you a while to learn or a hurdle that you had to get over that helps you succeed in business? Right. I will say I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Despite all the experiences I had, I'm still constantly reinventing myself. I'm constantly wanting to learn new things. Um, doesn't matter how many degrees you have, how much experience you have, you will never know everything you need to know. And I think humility is something that more people should have um, because you're able to get more people wanting if you can show some level of humility. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges that I've had, and this is, you know, I mentioned mentors earlier, and this is where um, that comes back to really, you know, resonate with me. Um, every company I've been at, 
I've been the highest ranking African American in those companies. So you didn't have a, you didn't have those uh, mentors that look like you to help you move uh, move around in those companies. You had to learn it all yourself. I had to learn it all myself. I bumped my head into many walls, and I never, very rarely, did I have someone who looked like me who could help me navigate and in, in the area that I was in because there were very few, if any people of color at any areas that I was in at the levels that I was in. And I, I think that I probably would have had less bumps and bruises if I would have had someone who could share some of that knowledge with me. You know, again, a mentor is just somebody who can give you a different perspective and help you learn from the lessons they've learned so you don't have to go through them yourself. I think that's the biggest value to the mentors. What I didn't realize as I was going through all this is and this is important for your audience, your mentors do not have to look like you. Your mentors do not have to be the same sex as you. They don't even have to be in your same industry. Mentors can be anybody who has positive knowledge that they wanna share with you that can help you on your journey. And I didn't take as much advantage of some of those mentors who didn't look like me. Um, and, and, if, and if I would have probably done more to stay in contact with those mentors, um, it, 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 I'm not sure if I would be doing anything different than I am, but I think that it would have been helpful for me to bounce some of my decisions and, and opportunities off of these people just to get their perspective um, as I've continued on this journey that I'm on. So, one of the big things I would share, and I share this with undergrads, I share this with young engineers and scientists in corporate America, mentors are important. Um, and you should try and have more than one. You know, you don't just have to have one mentor, get four or five, six mentors um, and, and, and use them. It's funny, there's, there's a book called Think and Grow Rich. I don't know if you guys heard it. Absolutely. Yeah, book. we do books big. Yeah, yeah that, that was actually, I was, you know, the funny thing about that is my next question was, I see all the books behind you. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, could you give us a couple books that have maybe uh, helped you along your journey that you took something from? You're talking about Napoleon Hill's uh, Think and Grow Rich. But I, you know, right at very, it's an old book, but it's very interesting because one of the things that he was told, I think, by Andrew Carnegie, because he was interviewing Carnegie and maybe Ford, some other real big, you know, uh, wealthy people. They were saying everybody should have their own advisory board. You should have a, a group of advisors, trusted advisors, that can help you navigate in any of the major decisions that you have. And I think that a lot of times, and I, I was guilty of this, you're working so hard to do your job that you forget that you have to have that cadre of people around you who can, you know, help guide you and, and you can bounce things off of. So having your own board of advisors is really helpful. Okay. So now outside of that, is there any other book that um, you possibly could share with us that helped you along your journey? That's my last question before we get out of here. Mm -hmm. Is there a book that you may have read or something, uh, a quote or uh, anything that you can share with us that may have helped you along the way uh, throughout your journey? I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of it. I might have it here. I do. I have it here. This is called, I don't know if you can see it. It's called Empowering Yourself by Harvey J. Coleman. Okay. Okay. 
it talks about the pie principle. Have you guys heard of the pie principle? No, and I haven't read that book either. I'm going to add it to my list, and I'm an okay. avid reader, so yeah. I'll give you, a, you know, or I'll try and give you a real quick snippet of it. Harvey Coleman was a um, very good and successful salesperson in corporate America for medical device companies. And he ended up being like the number one salesperson in the country for one of the companies that he was working for. And, you know, so he's getting the nice bonuses and he's making, you know, pretty good money, but he's wanting to move up even higher into management. And what was happening is every year or so, corporate America would have him train somebody, another young salesperson, and then a year later, he would see that salesperson get higher level opportunities than he was getting. And of course, the salespeople did not look like this African-American gentleman. They were young white males. And after two or three times that these young white males got promoted over him, he started asking questions like, wait a minute, I'm bringing in all this money to this organization. I'm the number one sales rep. You got me training all these newbies, and now you're giving them better opportunities than me. He said, something's going on. What's, what's going on? I'm not getting that upward mobility that, that my performance dictates I should get. Because if he was a, a young white male, he probably would have been a VP in, in like mm -hmm. five or six years. Yeah. So he went through this for a fair amount of time and really got frustrated with it. And he started doing some investigations and talking to other people. And he realized that it's, it's the PI principle was, was something that he didn't understand back then. And what PI stands for is performance, image and exposure, okay? okay? And what he realized is what made the, his white counterparts successful in the eyes of corporate America is they spent much more time focusing on their image and exposure, i.e. connections to the senior people than what he did. He spent 90% of his time working on performance. But that's, that wasn't what was being valued in corporate America to the level that it ultimately should. So in short, what, what he found is most people of color, when they're working in corporate America, focus on performance. He said, so in his research, he said, performance should only be about 10% of, of what you're doing if you want to be successful in corporate America. Your image is about 30%. And then exposure is 60% of what's going to make you successful. That's what he's ultimately saying, and this is a problem that I had in, in corporate America, and a lot of my friends have this. We focus on doing our job the best we can because that's how we were taught. We were taught, we were, to, we were taught you have to work harder. You have to work harder than everybody else. And, and that's what we were doing. But we didn't make sure that the right people in the organization knew us. We didn't make sure that we were... Um, making sure we had the right image. And part of that goes into, sometimes you gotta go to the holiday parties. Um, sometimes when somebody invites you over to their house, you gotta go, even if you don't wanna go, because it shows them that you're willing to be a part of their circle. I, I shared with some young people of color at the last company I was at, I said, it's up to you to decide if you wanna play the game or not, okay? There are rules to the game, and, and one of the things I said to them is, corporate America is not black culture. Corporate America has its own culture. You can choose to play or not play. If you choose not to play, you can't get upset if you don't get the opportunities that 
your white counterparts get because they're playing the game. Yeah. There are rules to the game. You have to understand those rules and you have to decide how much you're going to play the game. I had a young sister say to me, she said, well, you know, I want to come in with these long braids and I want to have all these, you know, ethnic looks and clothing and this and that. I said, you can do that if you want to. I said, but if that attire, if that way you carry yourself is going to make the dominant culture uncomfortable with you, then you're going to have to deal with the consequences from it. Yeah, so it's understand what the rules are. Some people don't even know what there are rules. or yeah. Some people don't even understand there's a game being played, <laughs> let alone what the rules are, right? Exactly. So it's like, if you're going to do that, understand that you might be better off, you know, creating your own culture, your own thing. Um, exactly. <laughs> if you, but, but if you decide you want to plan that, understand what the rules are. I think that's real interesting because that all goes to the old cliche is not what you know is who you know. Yeah. Um, but a lot of us, like you said, uh, we're always taught you have to work harder, twice as hard as they do, right? Yeah. Um, that, that, that pop principle. Yeah, that's 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 good. I got to get that book because I, I, that that resonated with me right there because I understand exactly what you're saying, um, but I've never heard it put that way in terms of just pie. That simplifies it a little bit. Right, and I'm not telling anybody that they should not be themselves, that they can't go into corporate America and, and wear the clothing, wear their hair the way they want. It's just you have to understand what that may be costing you. And if you're fine with paying that cost, so be it. Yeah, you know? and I, I get that. I get that. Because, I, I mean, I would never tell anybody, listen, you got to be yourself, right? Be yourself. I, I'm, I'm, I'm about being unapologetic. But also, I'm also about understanding the rules of the game you play. So even when we talk about finance and we talk about business, we talk about startups, there's certain rules and cultures that are involved in all that. So you have to understand that. You have to understand these rules. So... I appreciate you sharing that with us. And that's a book I've actually never uh, heard or heard anyone mention. So I'm going to add that to um, our recommended book list that we have because uh, mm -hmm. that, was, that was a pretty good gem there. But listen, Dr. Anthony, man, um, I just want to say thank you for sharing your time. You, you, you got all kinds of stuff going on, so your time is valuable. But we appreciate it. Um, and we want to make sure we share your story to show that as, as, as brothers out there that are, that are bioengineers, that um, you know have equity in startups and are doing all sorts of amazing things. So I just want to say, uh, first and foremost, continued success, and thank you for your time. Thank you guys very much. I really appreciate this. And if you need anything else from me, don't hesitate to oh, reach man. out. Yeah, Corey, you got anything you want to say before we get out of here? I appreciate your time. Uh, also, um, thank you for being so forthright about your experiences, because with the amount of experiences you have, you could have sugarcoated a lot of stuff and you didn't. You went right to it and, and and you were able to speak directly to our audience about those experiences and what those things look like. Because a lot of our audience hasn't been on the levels you've been on. And that's very important for them to hear that somebody who's been at the top levels of, of, of corporations has those same struggles that we have at our, you know, you know, quote unquote regular jobs you know what i mean so thank you for for being so forthright with your information and you know my last thing i want to say it's interesting that, that you said that too about um sometimes not believing in yourself even though you have like i like i said at the beginning you got more degrees in a the thermometer all the experience you know um it's interesting you said it i was just watching an uh interview with um with will smith right and he was talking about how he had to like catch himself because he was feeling insecure as he was watching The Rock 
uh, become the, a bigger star than him currently with billion dollar movies and everything because that used to be what he was and he said that um even at his level with all the success and the, the beautiful family everything he has he still like felt a little like am i good enough right right so it's interesting but his the point he was making is no matter how much you accomplish that those doubts will always be there but you have to like feel secure in yourself you have to like you know understand who you are um but it's interesting for you to share that uh you know, no matter how much, how much success you have or what you have, sometimes you still have those doubts and you have to overcome them. You have to make yourself uncomfortable. So um, yeah. I appreciate you for saying that. And it, that just resonated with me because I literally just watched him say that, like literally kind of the same thing, you know? Yeah. Um, it's a challenge because we don't have people who are constantly in our ears telling us how good we are. And we have to remind ourselves that we're probably better than most other people. Yeah, we, we do. We put our minds to it. And we have to remind each other as well. I remind you know, each other. It's about being a community. So listen, uh, Dr. Costa, I just want to say thank you again. Um, Cord, this has been another amazing episode, man. Um, you know, so I just want to tell you, listen, I appreciate you, Dr. Uh, as to our audience, make sure you share this episode. Um, you know, it'll be on YouTube, all the podcast platforms. Make sure you, uh, you know, give us a thumbs up. Share this with your, uh, your network and let people know um, the kind of work that we're doing out here in terms of highlighting brothers and sisters. As we always say, it's not about how much money you make, it's about how much you keep. Game elevates, and we shall see y'all on the next episode. Peace.